Hello, and thank you for joining us in Mapping the Zone, a podcast dedicated to informal discussion of the works and context of Thomas Pynchon. This week, we are doing something a little bit different since we are on break after having finished Mason and Dixon. We are each bringing a non-Pynchon uh, media or, or novel or just anything that we want to talk about to the table. And um, we're just going to share our, our thoughts on it, why we really enjoy it, and try to uh, encourage uh, each other and, and our, our listeners to check out what it is that we are bringing to the table. So this week, um, I am doing something. I, I thought a little bit about doing a book, and it seemed a little too on the nose, but I found a really good one um, that I really think all of us would benefit from talking about. It's called 12 Rules for Life, an Antidote to, to Chaos by Jordan Peterson. Fuck Ooh. yeah. <laughs> so, um, <laughs> no, we're not going to talk about that. I don't want to give Jordan Peterson any time. Any time. Set your um, house in perfect order before you criticize someone else. <laughs> we actually got lucky enough to get him on the show, apparently. So, um, no, no, no. I, I don't want to talk about Jordan Peterson. I actually, uh, I did bring something a little bit different. I, I think that um, a, a, for a media that I feel kind of gets underappreciated a lot uh, especially in mainstream culture, is video games. And they have been a very formative part of my life growing up. Um, and I, I tend to get very defensive when, when people are dismissive of, of the impact that they can have. Um, I mean, certainly there are, you know, games that are just games and that's their whole purpose is to, you know, just exist as a sort of release from uh, the everyday... Uh, problems that we have and just a good form of escapism. But I do think there are genuinely games that elevate themselves to, <clears throat> excuse me, to the level of, of art. And uh, the game in particular that I'm bringing to the table was called Near Automata. Let me oh. try that again. Near Automata. Um, so to give a kind of uh, a background on this, it, it, there is a, actually a weird kind of pinch on esque tangent that i could go on in that the the creator of the game yoko taro uh shares a sort of disdain for media presence that that penchon is kind of known for not to the same degree that penchon you know there's more known about him he does do interviews and stuff like that um but he typically when he does interviews when he does press stuff he is always almost always wearing this large mask like a dome helmet that sits on him and he's just really weird and surreal and uh almost chaotic at times i've seen a few um interviews and, and other things where he's you know more himself and, and really talking about the process of making games and things like that um but he so he hasn't made a whole lot of games he's really responsible for the the near series which um i've played there's like a prequel game that exists that I've played as well. Didn't enjoy it as much as this one, but um, his games, he has a really interesting way of, of approaching storytelling. And that's something that I'll kind of get into as we go in through here. Um, but I think before I even kind of start going into what it is that really makes this game uh, interesting and sets it apart from a lot of other games, um, I kind of wanted to get, uh, y'all's view on on games like do you how like do you play a lot of video games what how do you perceive them you know what are your general kind of perspectives on them yeah i, I mean i for a very long time collected like super nintendo and nintendo games that was something i just did sort of for fun 
so i i've had a a long-standing interest in games after i kind of got out of collecting old video games i became much more interested in sort of the i don't even know how you would necessarily define it but i feel like around like 2013 games really started to take a a heavy presence in like a narrative storytelling field where it wasn't just that you had these prevalent sort of first person shooters or like sports games or things like that and that you had a lot of people appreciating games for the storytelling capabilities of them and sort of the expansion of that as not necessarily a subgenre of games but as something that was becoming truly widely marketable and successful so a lot of those early games in that period up until probably the witcher 3 and that was like what 2017 mm-hmm. um were when i was very invested in, in video games and that was primarily because of friends of mine that that they wanted to like have a friend group that played games together or with them or could talk about them you know after that period though when i when i moved i kind of decided to sell most of my collection both classic and sort of modern games just to finance the actual cost of moving mm-hmm. so since that sort of witcher 3 period i haven't really played any any video games but i really found it interesting where that medium was headed if that makes sense I think that there's been yeah. a lot of interesting developments in like the last 20 years as far as what is successful and what gets sort of accolades and what people find interesting in the video gaming space. Yeah, so I've been gaming since uh, my uncle gave me and my brother his, uh, I think it was a Super Nintendo, um, whenever I was about five or six because we went over to his house and he, we annoyed him so much not wanting to play and being so excited. And I don't think he used it that much. So he ended up yeah. sending it home with us. Um, uh, yeah, I mean, I don't, to this day, I mean, I mean, growing up, I mostly, I, I did a lot of watching my brother play video games. He's always been better than me. Uh, video games. I did a lot of like watching him play Tony Hawk. Uh, I was never very good at Tony Hawk. I did a lot of watching him and my friends play uh, Super Mario 64. Um, A large part of my childhood was spent uh, with me and my brother watching our next-door neighbor play the Pokemon games on on, uh, the Game Boy because we didn't have a Game Boy, and we would just sit there and collectively make decisions um, and stuff. Uh, Growing up, I I played a lot of Halo in my teens, Uh, played some Call of Duty, um as an adult i've only i didn't own a video game system from like the age of like 18 until about 28 and then at 28 my brother gave me his old 360 um and i played through the bioshock games uh that being said i have played a lot of fifa i always make this joke with people that if they if the people mention fifa or mention playing fifa i was like yeah i love fifa but you know i can't own it because i get so obsessed with it um especially growing up especially i would do a lot of like the manager mode in madden and nba games mm. even college mm. football and basketball games where you you like direct the team and add and and drop people from the team and do all of that i would get very obsessive about that um i've maxed out you can only do it be a fifa manager for 15 years in fifa and i maxed that out a few times done the same thing with like yeah. i think 30 years with madden growing up um 
nowadays uh, yeah yeah going back to video games as like a, as narrative um the halo games do have a pretty cool narrative um i did kind of follow those a fair amount um that's one thing i miss about that franchise is it used to be the emphasis used to be a fair amount on the narrative created by the um like single like single player or like not it wasn't super it wasn't the whole emphasis wasn't just on like online gaming although that was a big part of it for me as well uh and even the call of duty games you know i still will remember some 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 narrative aspects of those from this from the from the campaign um the only games i've played that are super narrative heavy are the bioshock games um mm-hmm. which even those have a have a first person shooter aspect to them but um yeah, and it, nowadays I mostly just play Apex if I play video games at all, and I don't pay attention to all the lore, all the different videos you can watch, and all that, like the yeah. backstories or anything. I just kind of pop on sometimes, usually usually uh, maybe with the trick or two, or when I used to smoke, you know, I would smoke and play. Um, I, definitely, I definitely am on board with viewing them as an art form, and there are a few different series of games that I've always kind of meant to play, it's just I didn't have the right system and stuff. Um, I think I view them as, in a lot of ways, similar to... They're, they're, they can be like interactive movies for me, especially mm-hmm. games that are kind of choose-your-own-path. Um, which is, is always interesting to me. Um, I, I'm not the. T- I've never been the type to skip cutscenes in video games. Um, yeah, I never understood how people do that. Um, so yeah, my my experience with video games is basically uh, I got a Game Boy Advance when I was fairly young. You know, mm-hmm. five, six, something like that. Um, and the first experience I ever had with games was playing Spyro on the PlayStation One ah. at my babysitter's house. <laughs> I remember Spyro. My sister played that a lot. I watched a lot of that. Once again, I I am a child, you know. I'm a youth. The youth. The youth, youth. yeah. So, anyway, um, I have a lot of fond memories, and I... uh, Sorry. However, I didn't really get into games as, as, like, an interest until I was a little bit older, and I had some friends who were into pokemon and stuff and at that point mm-hmm. i got into pokemon that was around the time like, like a year or so before um, pokemon diamond and pearl came out for any fans of the series um and from there you know right around that time was when youtube became a thing and with youtube came let's plays as a genre and so yep. i i developed a, a great respect and fascination with video games Especially with video games that I have never played. Um, old old games from like the NES and SNES era, Genesis games. Um, and since then I've gone back and played a lot of them. Uh, and so I have a ton of respect for games like, you know, Chrono Trigger, for example. Oh god, I love Chrono Trigger. And I do have personal favorite games. It's not it's not all just voyeurism. But um I've basically come to the conclusion that, for me personally, story-based video games are not all that interesting. If it is something as detail-oriented as Chrono Trigger, 
um, then I then I will tend to appreciate the story quite a bit, and I'll probably play those games. But a lot of a lot of games um, that are story based, I feel like they they are done a disservice by being made as video games the way they are. Okay. Um, yeah. That's not to say that I don't like very many of them. Like I said, Chrono Trigger is great. That's very plot based. Um, yeah. Drawing a blank, coming up with others, but it's been a long time since I've played anything really that is story based. I'm much more of a mechanics oriented video game player when I do play games. So like things like Tetris or like uh, like Luke said, um, Apex Legends. You know, that's more my cup of tea than something that has a defined start and finish. Even though I do appreciate them, I've just never had the attention span, honestly. Fair enough. Well, so I just to give a, a brief little bit of background for myself, um, I, and I've mentioned before, like I grew up uh, with the uh, the early Final Fantasy games. When I was a kid, I played um, I think Final Fantasy six or three when it was released in the U.S. because they had a weird numbering system. Um, that game and Chrono Trigger were the games that kind of made me realize that games could tell stories. Um, mm. I mean, I played a lot of like Zelda and stuff like that. And there's a loose story in, in some of the Zelda games, like Link to the Past. There's a there's a story there, but it's more about the exploration and the adventure. Um, but it was really it was Final Fantasy VII that really got a story that really hit me hard and got me really interested in in video games as a means of telling a story. And it's not always the best medium for that. I think kind of like Will mentioned, there's uh, they tend to do themselves a disservice by being in that medium because they get they they kind of you know their their plot and the mechanics of the game don't always see eye to eye and and then there's I could go on about uh uh what is it ludo narrative dissonance um where there's a disconnect go. between the storytelling and the the actual implications of the gameplay and how it's what it's having you do that's a whole other thing that I'm not going to get into right now um but um, I think I, what, I think what got me wanting to do this specifically was I just finished playing Death Stranding again, which is an awesome game. Go play that game if you haven't. Um, and I was thinking about you know games as a medium for storytelling, and, and Kojima tells some wild ass stories, uh, and Death Stranding is definitely that one he of them. Does, um, but it got me thinking. And, and uh, near Automata was a game that I came to really late. It was, it came out in 2017. Um, I didn't play it until I think 2020. I bought it right after the pandemic started, which was a perfect time for a game like this for me. So let me kind of, I'm, I'm going to kind of give everyone an overview of what the game is, the the plot and the, the main um, sort of meat of the story and why I'm choosing this game specifically. And then if you guys have any questions or anything, I really don't want to spoil this game because I have to say before I even get into this, this game does something that has, I, that I don't think any other game has ever done and it does it perfectly well. And it's because of what it does. It is a game that could, it's a story that could only work as a game. Um, so I absolutely don't want to spoil that. And I would encourage anyone listening who's interested in it after I talk about it. Um, if you don't want to actually play it, um, cause it does take a, it's probably a 40 to 50 hour investment of your time to do it. I think it's absolutely worth it. Uh, but I understand that not everyone can do that. So this, that's where the let's plays like Will was talking about that. It's a perfect game to watch someone play because it's not something that 
really requires a lot of personalized choices. Um, or I have, I've, I've watched a few videos that kind of break down what I'm going to talk about. Um, and I can, I will link one of those in the show notes for anyone who's interested that will also heavily spoil what happens in this game. So if you're not going to play it, um, I'm, I'm not going to spoil anything, uh, major in this episode, but I would encourage you to go either watch the game or watch the kind of breakdown video that I'll post in here. Anyways. There are also said, volumes of manga for the storyline. Isn't yes, that correct? I've not read them. I did read the, so there's also a novelization of it. Uh, there's a book that novelizes the story and there's another book that's like a prequel and they're not great. And not, okay. it's not, it's not so much that it doesn't do a good job of telling the story. It's, it's bad translation. Uh, and it, okay. So it has mm. these kind of weird fragmented sentences and there's a lot of weird, um, sort of just dialogue that doesn't really translate well. It's it's it just didn't work. Like they That's got cool. the story beats right, but when it, I think when I go through this, you'll see why it doesn't really lend itself well to being shifted over into a book. So, so what you're saying is that if someone doesn't want to play the game, just learn Japanese, learn Japanese, and, and then after the that, yeah. read the book in its original language. Yeah, or I mean, really watch a, watch a let's play. Like I know there's people that have probably got it down to where they can run through the whole game faster than I can because mm. I tend to really take my time with these kind of open world games um, and really explore. But um, if nothing else, the the main video that I'll link in the show notes is like I think 45 minutes. And it covers everything pretty well. So, so, so I'm I'm gonna interrupt you right here. Yeah. Because I have a prediction. So, if, and feel free to remove this from the final edit if you want. Um, I want to predict, having not played the game, read the manga, or watched anyone play it, mm-hmm. that this thing that you're currently talking around, it's short skirts. <laughs> it okay. I well okay. So. <laughs> Yeah, that that does exist. I I have to put that. I, I will be upfront about that. That part I don't really care for. It, that's it's one of those cringy things about a lot of. Uh, I don't want to be reductive and say like JRPGs, but it honestly a lot of times is JRPGs. Yeah. Um. It it does have the main main character does have I, I calling it a skirt even is generous. <laughs> um. So it's you know that part's not great. But, no, but it, it is, is more of it is it, yeah. more of a loincloth that one wears around their waist. Yes, <laughs> that's that's fair. That's absolutely fair. Um, all right. So the game itself on, on on a surface level, the gameplay itself. This is kind of I think what hooked me at first before I even really dove into the story. This isn't just one type of game. It is a combination of almost every type of video game that I have ever played. It's a shooter. It's an action RPG. It's a bullet hell. It's a mech battle sim. Uh, it's a twin stick shooter. It's a platformer. All of these like subgenres of games exist at some point in this game. So it will constantly shift the style of gameplay as you're going through it. Um, which is really interesting because it kind of, when, when you boil down a lot of the, um, the game itself, the parts of the narrative, it can be kind of seen as a game about games. And so it's really interesting to go, you know, I'm not a big fan of a lot of those kind of games, but I did like how they presented it in here. So it starts 
like right off the bat, it's a twin stick shooter and I don't play a lot of those. So it took me some getting used to, to really get a feel for it, but it kind of helps you develop a different style of, uh, of playing games. So the, the gameplay itself, there's something in there for everyone. Um, now, as far as the narrative, and this is where I'm, I'm going to kind of give a generalized story here uh, and completely leave out the ending um, because, again, I don't want to spoil it. But essentially what, what it is, this game takes place like 9,000 years into the future. Um, and you've had, <clears throat> excuse me, androids and robots have been essentially fighting a sort of proxy war on behalf of humans and aliens. Um, the humans created the androids to fight the robots that were created by the aliens and both sides, the androids and the robots are just locked into this war. Um, and have got to the point where there's really, no one's really sure what the hell they're even doing this for anymore. It's just what they do. Um, so the androids that are fighting on behalf of the humans were initially used to store memories and thoughts of the humans who created them. But as time has gone on, they have started to develop independent thought um, and I will spoil a small part of the story. So if you want to keep everything, you know, not known to yourself, um, stop here for just a few seconds and then I will come back in and, and, uh, I'll put something in the show notes that you can kind of use to skip ahead. Um, essentially what has happened is the humans and the aliens died a long time ago and neither the androids or the robots have any idea that that happened until about mid game. Um, once this happens within the story, this is where the game kind of really shifts into a really interesting storytelling mode that I had not seen in games before. So these androids now have essentially lost their purpose and the, they are moving ahead with kind of forming their own identities. The game itself, the, the way the narrative is structured and, and the way that you move through this, uh, story is it's. You're, you're kind of witnessing this happen in real time. So your, your character, as you play through it, is going through the motions of just, you know, mindlessly killing all these robots. They're giving themselves justification for doing so as it's happening, um, even when they're presented with, you know, the robots who are, again, they're, they're robots, but they will suffer. Like, they will act like they are suffering, and they will act like they are in pain. And the androids will just kind of constantly tell themselves like this is they're just acting this is normal you know we have to do what we have to do but as they go on and learn that the humans died a long time ago and there's essentially no purpose for them doing this they then start to question what their purpose is and that's where the game um, starts introducing a lot of the philosophical elements that really hooked me into this so in the game itself the the robots are not all of them, but the main ones that you interact with are literally named after and essentially characterized as twisted versions of themselves, uh, of philosophers throughout history. So there is a, there's a robot called Jean-Paul, Jean-Paul Sartre. Um, there's an Ingalls robot and a Marx robot and a Pascal and a, a Simone de Beauvoir and a Kierkegaard. All of these are brought into the story, but they play a sort of like... Um, almost like a evil parallel universe version of themselves. Like it's, it's, it's distorted almost to the exact opposite of what their uh, philosophical view in real life was. And 
So the interactions that the androids are having with these robots is presenting them with these philosophical ideas. And that's what's kind of driving them to understand the actions that they have taken throughout the game as it has gone to this point. So all this mindless killing, all this acting in the, uh, in the interest of these human proxies that they've had or thought they had, this is, they, they kind of start grappling with this concept of, you know, what is it that makes us individuals and what is it that drives us to um, find meaning or create meaning for ourselves? Um, so just to kind of give some ideas of, of how these philosophers are portrayed, one of the ones that really hooked me, I think that where the game itself really, really, really hooked me and it seems to be the general consensus with a lot of people is the Simone de Beauvoir robot who is in, in the game is in a relationship with the Jean-Paul robot, um, which it parallels real life. Those two had a relationship. However, um, the Simone robot is is obsessed with this idea of of beauty and of female identity through beauty, and in doing in 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 struggling with this, she essentially has created herself into this giant, um, grotesque entity that is built out of essentially like dismembered other robots, um, and her whole purpose in the game is 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 to make sure that she is seen as being beautiful, which is in really stark contrast to uh, Simone de Beauvoir, from, at least from my understanding of her work. It's been a long time since I've read a lot of these um, philosophers' works. But um, the other one that was really interesting was the, the Kierkegaard um, robot, who is in the game, uh, is the head of this like, like uber-Catholic death cult that drives themselves into manic um, suicide. And it's, it's really, that's kind of one of the main kind of turning points of the narrative in the game, uh, as far as the androids and their perception of the, the robots that they're um, fighting throughout the game. The other, like the, the kind of main philosophical ideology that comes through in this game is, is Sartre's Essence Precedes Existence, um, which the whole game, after you get to this kind of midpoint, is structured around... Um, you know, what it is that allows us to define identity and, and whether or not the, um, the sort of cycle that, that humans have got themselves into is, is stifling their ability to move forward with, with finding that, that meaning and that identity. And so the game really plays with this idea that, that we are, that humans have been driven by these cycles of conflict and as such are on this sort of loop um, that we can't deviate away from. So what happens, this is, this is where I'm going to, I have to tread very lightly about how I put this because I, I really genuinely don't want to spoil this for anybody. The game has multiple endings and not like a lot of other games have multiple endings where it's like, oh, you can see these cool um, different ways that the game could have ended. There are those all in are all. Are like... 40 different endings. It's 26. There's one for each letter in the alphabet. Yeah. So there's, there's, there are five actual endings. The fifth, you have to play the first four to get to the fifth one. And the fifth one is where it really does something truly incredible. The other ones are all these kind of weird little things. Like if you do certain things or you die a certain way, that's one of those endings. So there's all kinds of weird, fun ways to, to get those. Um, but essentially without spoiling too much about this. And again, if you don't want to 
you know, have any part of this game ruined. Um, I'll put another thing in here for the show notes. Um, essentially, after you beat the first playthrough, you play the game again through a different character's perspective. And so you are getting, you're playing the same game, but you're seeing it from a different side. And once you finish that playthrough, you play it again through another player's point of view. Um, so you're throughout these, these multiple playthroughs, you're seeing the same story, but you're getting a different way of looking at it. And so it's, you're watching these characters in the game develop this sense of identity while you're at the same time, you're kind of getting your own perspective on what does it mean to do what I do as a, as a gamer? You know, what am I doing? Why am I doing what I'm doing? Is am I doing this because the game is telling me to do this? And so I can move forward in this path to finish the game or am I doing it because I'm getting an enjoyment out of it? Yeah. It, it plays with this idea of the purpose of, um, of choosing what we do in, in not just in the game itself, but in a larger perspective in life. Um, so once you do all this, essentially the, the whole kind of crux of the game without really spoiling anything is, is it's really about compassion and it's about empathy and it's about helping others and, and working with other people and having compassion for other people that you might not have ever considered giving that compassion to, because that's how we can move forward as, as people is by breaking that cycle of, of cruelty and, and, um, conflict and moving to a place of, of genuinely caring about people and trying to better ourselves and, and everyone around us. So the, the video that I'll post into the, the show notes really breaks this down a lot more, um, and in a lot more detail. Um, it really, they also mentioned the, uh, the Buddhist concept of, uh, samsara, which, comes really heavily into play in kind of what I was talking about with that cycle of, of existence and everything. So it's, I think for someone like, like Will was saying, like, um, you know, I don't know if it was Will or Luke, I apologize, but the, the not really being into the lore um, and the backstories of all that, this is not a game that concerns itself with that at all. <laughs> there is the, the exploration of, of how we got from, humans and and aliens having these these robots and androids fight each other is almost meaningless it's really just there to kind of give a base understanding of why the why things are the way they are right now that's it there's no history of these characters there's no um deep you know history of of the the world that it's taking place in which it is earth uh but you know there's still no history to it or anything like that so that part of it is all gone um, and on top of that, it's hilarious at times. There is a reinterpretation of Romeo and Juliet that's put on by the robots, and it's 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 just full of them cussing at each other and screaming at each other, and it's fucking hilarious. Um, the the way they portray some of the the philosopher, uh, the philosopher robots is really funny. Um, it is you know as we talked about earlier, the costuming not the best, but it it's the the way the characters are, are written the way they are developed is really really well done and it's rare for that to happen i think in a video game especially in a game where they're presented the way they are um but it is and it's very self-aware too like the main character that you play through the first time or her name is 2b um so it's it's very on the nose and it knows what it's doing but it's it is so so worth seeing 
I, I really would recommend playing it. If you have the ability to play it, it's on pretty much all the major platforms now. If you can play it, I would really, really recommend it and play through to the, the E ending, the fifth ending. Um, it's, it is, it's really an experience, nothing like nothing I've ever had with a video game. But if you can't or don't want to invest that time in it, um, check out the YouTube video that I'll post or watch a Let's Play of the full game. It's really, really stunning. So that's my spiel on Nier Automata. Thank you for sharing. What? Yeah. Yeah. yeah I, like there's a lot, there's lots of process there certainly, it, but yeah. Um, other than the concept of video games as a, I don't necessarily want to say underrated, but potentially under discussed medium outside of a couple of specific places where people discuss it. And only that. Is there anything else about this particular game, either from a storytelling perspective or a philosophical perspective or a thematic perspective or whatever word you'd want to apply that made you want to select it for these bonus episodes that we're doing? Because like the passion is very palpable as far as how you feel about the game, definitely. Yeah, I think, um, well, you know, like I mentioned earlier, it's playing Death Stranding, um, kind of put me in that mindset because that game as well uh, is a lot of it is built on helping each other. Um, and I think with, with a lot of video games, it's the idea of helping is built into the story itself. It's just, you know, go find this person and, and save the world or whatever it is. But in, in a game like death stranding and a game like uh, near automata, you're helping other actual people. Um, and I, I don't want to sp- get too into that with near automata because that would really be pulling the curtain too much um death stranding is is it does that kind of thing in that you are cooperating with other people who are literally playing the game along with you in real time you're not interacting with them directly but you are sharing resources with them you're um building different things for them so that when they're playing the game the things you build if you you know if you build a road or if you leave a, a ladder or a rope somewhere another player in a, you know, anywhere in the world can interact with that thing that you have left there. And that makes their journey a little bit easier or, you know, just running a path a certain number of times in the same place will wear down a literal path in the game on the same server that these other people are playing on so that they can come in and, and it can help them. So I think it's, it's just this, I, I, I find myself a lot of times getting really disturbed by a lot of the vitriol and and anger that exists in in a lot of the world but especially online and so i i i find that games like this that really promote compassion and empathy are few and far between not just even games but like you know books and and movies and and anything else so i i I really relish the opportunity to kind of share something like that that can you know find someone else and 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 reach them and and they can spread that as well they're almost the opposite of a game like Dark Souls, where you can just go in yeah. there and mess up somebody else's yep, yep. experience playing it. Yeah, it is. It is very much the opposite of that. I do love Dark Souls, but it's yeah, it's absolutely the opposite of that. Yeah, I, I, so I had, like, I have not played Near Automata, but like you had mentioned, it came out in 2017 around the time that The Witcher Three came out, which was a very big game for me mm-hmm. um I've, I've been a long time fan of the witcher novels and so the the games were were something that i was obsessed with so i remember like 
the promotional cycle for that game. And like I remember the the principal character has like an eye patch and the short skirt and like the general look of the game. Like I knew all of that. And I knew that it had like a whole bunch of different endings that you could unlock or or progress through. But it seems like the game itself has engendered a very long shelf life in the sense that it has remained continually something that is recommended or talked about or played by a large group of people. Yeah. But it is a large group of people that is a very like obsessive fan base and is like very devoted to that game, that character, that storyline. Cause if I if I'm if I'm not mistaken, the existence of the manga as a whole is purely based off of the like intense devotion that the fan base had to the point where they just were begging for more content. And so they decided to adapt it to, to manga. I could be wrong about that. I am not an expert in manga as a medium or this game, but I feel like I remember seeing an article about that or when it came out entirely possible. They did also just do an anime adaptation of it. That's apparently really good. I've heard about that too. So what, not necessarily saying you're you're a member of this heavily devoted fan base, but yeah, yeah. what if you could point to a couple of things about the game would create such a devoted, like obsessive fan base for? Like, what do you think is inherent in this that that would lead to something like that? Because even a game like Witcher Three, which was huge, it swept the Game Awards that year. Mm-hmm. It is rightly considered to be one of the best video games ever made from a standpoint of its mechanics and its storytelling and and like let alone the blood and wine expansion for witcher 3 which is basically its own game um in contrast to that like the witcher 3 has a lot of fans but it is not nearly the type of fan base that near has um so i was wondering if you could speak to any of your thoughts as to why it has engendered that sort of a a reaction or that sort of a dedication. Yeah. So I, I will say upfront, and this is a big part of the reason I, I have stayed away from some of the subreddit stuff is uh, there is the anime girl aspect of it, which sure is not, that's, I, I don't want to say it's not the game's fault, but I, it's not, it's not the game's intention to focus on the character in that perspective. I think what, what draws people to it um, is it really is, is the, the philosophy that exists within it, the story um, that exists in it, because a lot of the uh, really the better discussions that I've, I've read online have been about um, understanding how philosophy works in conjunction with this game and seeing a lot of people who really never had an interest in, in reading or understanding philosophy prior to playing the game um, pick it up and they, they, because they want to understand more of how it informs the game and the story of the game. And mm. so it's a really cool thing for a video game in 2017 and beyond to instill an interest in, you know, 18th and 19th century philosophy that otherwise these people probably honestly never would have thought to look into. Um, so I, th- I think that's a big part of it. And then I think, you know, a lot of people, I think, come into it because they hear about the 
I don't want to call it a trick because that's a really reductive way of, of looking at how the game ends. The twist. Um, the twist. Yeah. I think that's, it's more than that though. Um, but I think that's a big part of what draws people to it, which is unfortunate because I think coming into this, knowing what it's going to do, doesn't necessarily keep you from enjoying it, but it definitely takes away from the impact that it can have. So what I'm hearing you say is that near automata is to video games and philosophy what the good place is to television and yeah, philosophy. Yeah, that's absolutely a very good parallel. Yeah. Yeah. Because I know that that is something that has certainly provoked a response in people to... I don't know. I don't know how many people watched The Good Place and like went out and read moral philosophy books. A lot of that's very dry, but I certainly know that it, it's pretty much impossible to watch that TV show and not at least consider philosophies of thought and moral yeah. philosophy in particular. It's, so Nier Automata is doing a very similar thing. It's, it sounds like yes, very much so. That's cool. Yeah, before before this, um, I had the impression that the primary thing that was drawing people to it um, was was not the uh, the anime girlness of it all, uh, as much as I joke. But really, the um, the 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 clear passion that Yoko Taro has as a, as a, essentially a director of the video game. That's a good and, point. Yeah, and. and just the, the sheer scale of all the different systems working together and the way that they do all have a deep impact with the with those philosophical themes that you are you're talking about and i'm glad to have gotten a much more clear idea of what those themes are yeah i really enjoyed your your uh your you talking about it. it it does sound really interesting and Something that if I had more time on my hands, especially, I'd be I'd be inclined to to want to check out. I'll I'll share the um, the breakdown video with y'all uh, once we're done. And it's like I said, I think it's like forty five minutes, so it's a good. It does a really good job of condensing the entirety of the story and and the philosophical aspects of it uh, into that forty five minute window. So, and it does it it will explain the ending and and. That's the part. That's what sucks is I really like, I really, really <laughs> want to tell you guys what it is. Cause I think that's like the biggest selling point of this. But again, I don't want to take away from what it does. Cause it really, it's yeah. such a cool thing. It really truly is such a unique thing. And for it to have pulled it off in the way that it did, it's one of those, it's one of those things where it really shouldn't work on paper. This should not work, but it absolutely does. So one, one, one of the more concrete things I'm coming away from this with is that um, if anybody's listening, Cody is looking for a co-host for his more mature his near automata discussion yeah. podcast. Yeah. Yep. So reach out if, if you're interested. Please, in yeah. Let's, let's oh, talk I'm about sure it. I'm sure someone is going to email. At least one person. I know yeah. someone who might. <laughs> Um, it's a very good game, but yeah, I would. I that's that's my my big thing right now. Maybe this question doesn't have an answer, but I always like to ask it when anyone is telling me about something that they're they're passionate about, whether it's like a book or a movie or a show, or in this case, a video game. Is that my mentor Neil? Uh, 
used to tell me that the reason why so many people bounce off of Blade Runner is that they don't watch it correctly. And his recommendation for watching Blade Runner was that you should watch it uh, with all of the lights in your house off at night with your shades Mm -hmm. drawn so it's as dark as possible. Um, And then on the biggest possible TV that you have access to, even if that means going to somebody else's house for three hours, and you just sit there in silence, potentially with a like rocks glass of booze, and you just sort of allow yourself to 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 be immersed in Vangelis's score and the cinematography and the storytelling. So the question then would be, is there a way that you would recommend playing near Automata from a standpoint of maybe like you need to get so far into the game before you decide it's not your thing, anything to help like enhance the experience yeah, of yeah. someone playing it, things like that. So yeah, I, I and I the Blade Runner thing is a good um that's a good analogy. I want side note, I, the first time I watched Blade Runner was on a, a CRT TV in college. Um and it was so the exact opposite <laughs> of Neil's yeah. recommendation. It was like a 20-inch screen um that uh <laughs> it probably wasn't as dark as it could have been and my my roommate uh I very distinctly remember was playing Crash Bandicoot with his girlfriend. What the uh, hell? And she was screaming at him. Whole other story. Um anyways, uh yeah, I think with this game um first of all like you have to you have to be willing to stick with it because you literally cannot save the game for the first half hour what um yeah it it puts you through a sort of i don't want to call it a gauntlet but it really will test your um your ability to do it's that kind of twin stick shooter so like very much like galaga um that sort of like back and forth real fast shooting um but once you get a hang of it, it's, it's really, truly pretty easy. Um, so that part you really have to stick there for. But yeah, I would say the story kicks off pretty, pretty quickly. And I, it didn't take me long to get invested into it. Um, I will say, though, if you're going to play it, you really have to um, allow yourself to just enjoy it on, you know, for what it is. Don't try to overanalyze everything at once just let the game tell you the story um not so i tell you is wrong is probably the wrong way to phrase it let this let the story unfold and just let it happen and be willing to play at least the finish the first ending and and start the second game because it's really important to see what it's getting at with those multiple endings because as i said earlier it is not one of those things where it's just you know there's an ending where the good guy wins there's an ending where everything falls apart there's an ending where um his brother comes back you know but it's not that it this is literally taking different perspectives through the game and drastically changing how you are um consuming the story so you really have to just allow yourself to be immersed in this world. Nice. All right. Well, it was already on my list, but I will uh, bump it up a few spots. So that's Going up in the heat rankings. Eighty-seven. All right. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Well, um, so to conclude again, everyone, you know, find a way to to take this story in, whether it's actually playing it which i cannot recommend enough or just watching a a long play of it online or watching the video that i link in the show notes this is 
such a cool and unique story, and I really don't think we're ever going to have another game like this. So given how games develop and, and, and the difficulty of porting games to newer systems, um, I would encourage you to play it now while you can, um, because it's, it's, it's an absolute experience. So um, with that being said, thank you everyone for listening uh, and taking the time to enjoy this kind of uh, side bonus episode. Um, and we will be back uh, next week with another of our co-hosts selections to talk about. So thanks to all for listening and we'll see you next week. Bye. See ya. Bye.